One time Jesus returned to his hometown, Nazareth. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. He read some scripture. He taught the people. They spoke well of him, and they marveled at his gracious words, and things seemed to have been going pretty good. But after his teaching got personal, this happened. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Another time, Jesus offended his disciples, and many of them turned back and no longer walked with him. The teaching of Jesus is not easy to swallow. Uh, It offends sinful human sensibilities, yet his words give life and, and, if lived, give much joy in this life. My job this morning is intellectually demanding, exegetically rigorous, and somewhat uncomfortable. The topics of divorce and remarriage are particularly thorny topics for various reasons. I'll mention a few. Number one, rightly interpreting the various biblical passages on divorce and remarriage is intellectually arduous, uh, hard to do. And though good, conservative, reformed Bible scholars agree on much, they disagree on certain aspects of these topics. Number two, divorce is inherently uncomfortable to talk about. Three, I have read and skimmed in preparation for this sermon, that's a lot, a lot of material, and my mind is still foggy uh, on on certain issues related to divorce and remarriage. This sermon has been very intellectually demanding and exegetically rigorous for me, perhaps the most difficult that I've preached yet, I'm not sure about that, but one of them, if not the most. And I'm still grasping for coherence and consistency on what I'm preaching today. Four, I promise you, I'm making you a promise, I won't say all that should be said, uh, nor will I answer all of your questions. That being said, considering my pastoral inadequacy and my pastoral brevity, I recommend to you the book Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage by Jim Neuheiser. Marriage, Divorce, and and Remarriage by Jim Neuheiser. I've read some of it, and perhaps it can uh, provide some clarity on many related issues that we won't handle uh, in these two sermons. Five, divorce is often complex, multifaceted, and demands very careful biblical thinking, interpretation, and application. I will not address the myriad of situations where divorce should or shouldn't be applied. Uh, That's probably impossible for a preacher to do because of the complexities of each divorce in each situation. And sixth, some of you have been divorced and remarried, or people you love have been, and and you feel the pain of that. Um, And maybe you have some really tough questions. And you may still have open wounds, and I might brush up against those wounds. I may even say things that you have never considered before, which may uncover new things for you to work through spiritually and emotionally, and that may come this morning. So divorce and remarriage are delicate, thorny, and emotional topics, but what we're ultimately after here, brothers and sisters, is God's perspective on these things so that we can honor him 
unto his glory. Let me mention one more dynamic that makes this particularly thorny uh, to preach. For some Christians, obeying Jesus in areas of marriage, divorce, and remarriage is extremely difficult and costly, life-altering, in fact. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is clear about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It is our sinfulness that fogs the mirror. Some of what Jesus taught on marriage, divorce, and remarriage is difficult to receive by faith, but we must trust that what Jesus teaches on these topics is is right and good and for our temporal and eternal good. There is no teaching of Jesus. There is no biblical truth that is not right and good and for our temporal and eternal good. Psalm 19, 7 and 8 tell us exactly this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Do you believe that, though? Do you believe that when it pertains to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Because in some cases, believing Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage, will be extremely difficult, extremely costly. Now, I could go in a bunch of different directions here with this sermon, but I've chosen one direction. I simply want to make a plea, an impassioned plea to you. Here's my impassioned plea. By the Spirit's power, give your blood, sweat, and tears to defend and cultivate your marriage out of love for God and your spouse for the glory of Christ. That's my plea. Christ, in his infinite and unfathomably, uh, unfathomable beauty and love, takes for himself a bride, the church, the elect from all history, and unites them to himself for his glory and their eternal joy, and he never divorces them. Christ, the great bridegroom, never divorces the bride which God the Father gave him to redeem. Jesus Christ is the only one who perfectly, who is perfectly faithful to his marriage covenant and who is the perfect expression of marital covenantal love. None of us are exemplary in this area. Christ alone is exemplary and when that sinks into your mind And to your heart, you will approach these topics with great care for how you respond in marriage makes a statement about the gospel. Makes a statement about the gospel. If you know the gospel and you know the preciousness of Christ and his faithfulness to his bride, it just makes you want to be faithful. Marriage is precious. Marriage is weighty. Marriage is a sacred picture of the gospel, not to be defaced in any way. And when two spirit-filled people give their blood, sweat, and tears to defend and cultivate their marriage out of love for God and their spouse for the glory of Christ, divorce can be prevented. And marriage can exalt the one who created it. Marriage among Christians should look 
very different than the world's marriages. So that the glory of Christ may shine through them. Saints, cut off your own leg before you cut off your spouse and deface the gospel by an unlawful divorce. The gospel must not be disparaged because of the church's foolishness in the area of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Before heading into verses 31 and 32, I think a word on marriage is appropriate to give context and to add gravity to what we're talking about. Number one, marriage is profoundly intimate, sacred, and precious to God, is meant for a lifetime, and should always be honored and protected. More needs to be said about marriage, but let me say this. If we lose sight of the intimacy, sacredness, and preciousness of the covenantal union of husband and wife in marriage, our approach to the divorce and remarriage discussion will be a train wreck and follow our fleshly desires more than God's sovereign will revealed to us in Scripture. Viewing marriage from God's divine perspective as presented in Scripture guards us against divorce. Genesis 2.24 says, In profound clarity and simplicity, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh! God never said, therefore a man shall divorce his first wife and hold fast to his second wife and the two shall become one new flesh. Like cutting off your own leg, divorce is bloody, painful, and and undesirable. A, A separation of something that God himself has brought together. United, Jesus added a command to Genesis 2.24 by saying this, what therefore God has joined together Let not man separate. Saints, that's a divine command from God. It is never good to try to separate something that God himself has put together. It's hazardous to try. Marriage is profoundly intimate, sacred, and precious to God and meant for a lifetime and is not to be weakened, devalued, cheapened, threatened, or misused in any way. One big reason for that is because marriage pictures the covenantal love and union of Christ and his beautiful bride, the church. Marriage is so profound, so precious to God that in Ephesians 5, Paul explained that marriage is an illustration of the gospel of Christ's loving union with his bride, the church. When thinking about divorce and remarriage, we must remember this, that God created marriage to picture the gospel and to glorify his son. Who wants to deface a picture meant to glorify Christ? Therefore, marriage is to be honored for the sake of Christ. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Saints, marriage is meant to be honored, esteemed, valued, and protected from any injury. 
Why? Because marriage is precious to God and God promises to judge sexually immoral and adulterous people. God's fierce judgment reveals the preciousness of marriage and the dreadfulness of anything that threatens it. When we think about the topics, the sensitive topics of divorce and remarriage, we must begin with the profound intimacy, sacredness, and preciousness of marriage and the truth that God intends marriage to be lifelong. Only when that's clear will we approach divorce and remarriage with proper solemnity and wisdom and care. In 1979, two months after I was born, so a long time ago, Newsweek printed an article by Suzanne Britt Jordan, uh, in what, and this is what she wrote as part of the article. Marriage is a partnership far more than a perpetual honeymoon, and anybody who stays married can tell you that. It may be made in heaven, but it's lived on earth, and because earth is the way it is, marriage is often irritating, hellacious, unsatisfying, boring, and shaky. She's right. She's right. And sadly, in some cases, we could add, sometimes marriage is verbally and physically abusive, emotionally and sexually disconnected, nasty, unforgiving, selfish, and arrogant. I won't beat around the bush. Divorce exists because evil resides in the hearts of those who get married. The biggest threat to marriage is the couple getting married. Divorce would be non-existent if the human heart was pure and faithful and good like Christ's. We are having this divorce and remarriage conversation because of radical human depravity. So let's begin to understand what Jesus says about divorce and remarriage. Jesus said in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This leads us to number two. Jesus corrected common misinterpretations and misapplications of the law. The the Sermon on the Mount corrects much abuse of God's law. Once again, Jesus said, it was also said. He he wasn't correcting the law. He he was rather uh, correcting the common misinterpretations and misapplications of the law. Rabbinical teachings muddled the law. And Jesus came to fulfill and clarify the law so we all could be set straight on this. The common debate at the time over divorce was largely the certificate of divorce and its use. There were two sides to the debate. Rabbi Hillel was the liberal. He said that you could give a certificate of divorce to your wife for any good cause. If you don't want her anymore, give her that certificate, and just like that, you're rid of her. Rabbi Hillel actually allowed men to divorce their wives if they burned dinner. Many scribes and Pharisees agreed with Rabbi Hillel. Divorce was made easy. Rabbi Shammai, on the other hand, he was on the other side, was the conservative. And he said that the only just cause to give your wife a certificate of divorce was adultery. Okay? But then he said that when when adultery was committed, the husband was required to divorce his wife. Required to give the certificate. The husband had to get a divorce with his adulterous wife. So much for forgiveness, so much for reconciliation, so much for the gospel at work. Both sides of this debate were wrong. Do you understand? 
And Jesus transcended the debate. He just, he, masterful in how he handled these things. I would have been like, <laughs> I'm going to grab a drink real quick. I'll be right back. And then just leave. I mean, but he transcended the stuff and he went right into the debate and he got, he gave the authoritative, the definitive, the conclusive perspective on divorce and remarriage. Now, to better understand Jesus and the raging debate at the time, we need to go back into Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, specifically verse 1, because that's the debated text here. That's what they were bickering and arguing about, and the text, uh, Jesus refers to it in verse 31. So here's Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Listen very closely. I'll just read verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her... If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Now, I'm not preaching this text, so I'll only mention three points. First, the certificate of divorce mentioned in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, is only mentioned in passing as a legal concession. To give your wife a certificate of divorce as a legal concession was far, 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 far from saying divorce was good and that divorce was a command. That's not what Moses was saying. Eugene Merrill explained, quote, the legislation here neither commands nor condones divorce in general, but only regulates its practice for ancient Israel, end of quote. So properly speaking, the certificate of divorce was part of national theocratic Israel's civil law, meant to protect marriage, actually, uh, to deter divorce and to protect women's rights who were divorced in Israel. The certificate was a legal provision because of human sinfulness, which Jesus talks about in the New Testament, and a provision making it clear that the marriage was ended. It was, it was, it was over. It was severed. And that the wronged woman was free from her marital obligation, and she was free to remarry because remarriage is assumed in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. A certificate of divorce... Um, as a formal legal procedure is far from saying the law, God's holy law, condoned or commended or commanded divorce. Do you understand? Second, according to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, if a man divorced his wife and she remarried and her second husband divorced her or died, she could not go back and remarry her first husband. Remarriage in that case was strictly prohibited. That remarriage law was intended to prevent husbands, if you can follow the logic here, from treating their wives like property to be rejected and regained at will, which discouraged and reduced divorce in Israel and advocated women's honor and women's rights. Legal process made husbands think very carefully about divorcing their wives. William Henriksen helpfully commented this. The regulation of the first four verses of that chapter may be summed up as follows. Husband, you better think twice before you reject your wife. Remember that once you have put her away and she has become the wife of another, you cannot afterward take her back, not even if that other husband should also have rejected her or should have died. 
Moses did mention the giving of a bill of divorce, but only in passing, Hendrickson says. That is, by way of assumption, included in the warning. And I think that's important, included in the warning. Matthew Henry said, quote, the law had prevented rash and hasty divorces, end of quote. See, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 was a warning of sorts to deter divorce, to protect marriage and women, and the certificate was a necessary legality under the circumstances of unfavorable divorce. But in no sense did Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, condone or commend or command divorce. Far from it. So remember that. Third, and this is really important, the first century debate raged over the meaning of this phrase in verse 1. If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Some indecency. Rabbi Hillel and his cronies took that phrase and interpreted some indecency as if it was almost anything at all. Just can her if you feel like it. Get rid of her if you don't like her anymore and get someone else. But Rabbi Shammai, the conservative, also had it Wrong, very wrong. He proposed only one cause of divorce, adultery, okay, but then made divorce in those cases mandatory. Jesus came along and transcended the entire debate and exposed the sin and guilt in the hearts of the religious elitists and his listeners. He raised the stakes, which brings us to number three. Jesus is the authority on God's law. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And he taught for our good because he is good. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount exhibits the righteousness of the king, expounds the ethics of the kingdom, exposes our sin, guilt, and desperate need of God's grace in Christ, which is what he was doing in the teaching on divorce, and explains how believers should seek to obey their heavenly Father by the Spirit's power in gratitude for his grace, he called his disciples to a high standard of revering marriage and abhorring divorce. Before we get into verse 32, let's go to Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, because it adds more clarity on what was going on in this debate over divorce and the radical kingdom view of Jesus. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees came to Jesus to test him to test him. They were relentless. And they asked this question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Can you hear that? Do do you hear what they're doing there? For any cause. There's an assumption there. The, the, The loose interpretation of some indecency from Deuteronomy 24, 1. Any cause at all. Jesus, can you answer this question for us? And listen to how Jesus answered. Would any of us have answered it like this? He he answers that question like this. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
Do you understand what he was doing there? When the divorce question and debate were raised, Jesus went back to the Garden of Eden and God's holy design for marriage and the profound intimacy and sacredness and preciousness of marriage as his answer. That was what he wanted to talk about. Jesus transcended the debate and he emphasized the point when God joins one man and one woman together in the covenant of marriage, nothing should separate them because God's intent is lifetime marriage. That's his answer. Because they were looking to justify themselves in their unlawful divorces. They were abusing God's law to make their cunning arguments to get themselves off the hook to do whatever they wanted. How cunning and deceitful is the depraved human heart. And I like what Kevin DeYoung said about this. Kevin said this, Before we see anything else about divorce and remarriage, we have to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees want to talk about acceptable reasons for a divorce. Jesus wants to talk about the sanctity of marriage. They want to talk about when a marriage can be broken. He wants to talk about why marriages shouldn't be broken. If all you hear are the reasons a marriage covenant might be broken, it's like learning to fly by practicing your crash landings or training for battle by practicing your retreats. Whatever exceptions there might be, Kevin DeYoung says, the main thing is that marriage is supposed to be permanent. God's main point about marriage, divorce and remarriage, is that marriage is supposed to be lifelong. Why? Because Christ's loving union with his bride, the church is permanent. God doesn't want anything to sever the covenantal bond that he established between husband and wife, not anything, because he created marriage to make a statement about his glorious son's loving union with his wife, the church. I think many Christians make this colossal mistake. When they think about divorce and remarriage, they start with pain, suffering, and looking for a way out instead of starting with Christ and the profound intimacy, sacredness, and preciousness of marriage as God designed it and how they or others can remain most faithful to Christ even at great personal affliction and loss. It is problematic to start with circumstances instead of starting with Scripture which God revealed His will on these topics. Well, the Pharisees heard Jesus on this in Matthew 19, and they responded, and pay close attention to their wording. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Did Moses command divorce? Is that accurate? Well, okay, in one sense, a certificate was commanded in one way of looking at that legally. It was a a legal necessity um, if divorce was happening, but a certificate as a legal concession was far from mandating divorce. 
Moses didn't command husbands to divorce their wives. The devious, selfish, and self-righteous scribes and Pharisees tried to make the law say something that it didn't say, something that disgraced marriage and promoted divorce. We see this of what they were doing. The Sermon on the Mount is correcting all kinds of terrible angles on God's law. So Jesus corrected their horrific exegesis, their interpretation, their bad Bible study. Jesus made sure they understood the whole certificate thing by saying, because of your hardness of heart, which means sinfulness, which means depravity, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Again, the certificate was a legal concession to regulate divorce within national theocratic Israel because of the sinfulness of the human heart. Divorce has never been God's intent and has always been an abomination to him. But then in verse 32, Jesus said, but I say to you. He stated the common misinterpretation and misapplication and then said, but I say to you. Jesus identified himself as the preeminent rabbi, the one everybody should be listening to, the authoritative voice on matters of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. He was God's voice in human flesh. Jesus is the one that you and I need to, need to listen to. Not culture, not psychology, not personal experience. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What does he say about these things? In verse 32, Jesus communicated what his kingdom ethics looked like applied to marriage, very different than the world. He said, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That statement, I'm going to try to unpack next time, next week. But until then, know this. First, it is true that in many cases, divorce and remarriage are adultery in God's eyes. We cannot get away from the text saying that. We know that much is true, okay? It is true that in many cases, in many cases, Divorce and remarriage are adultery in God's eyes. Jesus says it in verse 32. Second, if you get nothing else from this half of the sermon, please get this. Marriage is sacred. Divorce is abhorrent. So by the Spirit's power, give your blood, sweat, and tears to defend and cultivate your marriage out of love for God and love for your spouse for the glory of Christ. Well, I need to wrap it up for this week. So you have to stay tuned because next week we're going to enter into the complexities of verse 32, and there are complexities there, and they will await us next week. Uh, So let me end here. Number four, by the Spirit's power, give your blood, sweat, and tears to defend and cultivate your marriage out of love for God and your spouse for the glory of Christ. Why would you give 
your blood, sweat, and tears to defend and cultivate your marriage when marriage can sometimes be, as Suzanne Britt Jordan described, irritating, hellacious, unsatisfying, boring, and shaky. Why keep going? Isn't the answer simple, brothers and sisters? According to Scripture, Jesus Christ is a bridegroom. The church is his bride. Out of love for his dear bride, Jesus gave his life, and his bride was not spotless. Jesus came to die on a harsh wooden cross beneath the crushing weight of God's justice in order to make his bride spotless. His unfaithful bride, in order to take his unfaithful bride for himself to never divorce her, never send her away, but to love her and cherish her forever as he works in her to make her spotless like himself. Will Jesus ever divorce his bride, brothers and sisters? Will Jesus ever send away his elect, his chosen, his beloved bride? No. No, Jesus is eternally faithful and never commits adultery against his beloved bride and never desires or decides to divorce God's people for whom he died. His covenantal love is eternal and secured with his own blood. We saw it promised in the Abrahamic covenant and we see it accomplished on Calvary. How many times... Have you and I committed adultery against our beloved Christ? Have you lost count? I don't even have a number. Do we not spurn his covenantal love with our unfaithfulness every time we have a wicked thought, speak a careless word, or perform an an unkind act? And yet, does, does our beloved bridegroom Christ send us away? Does he divorce us? No. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Isaiah 62 is about Christ's beloved bride, the church. Right there in Isaiah, the prophet, the church. And in Isaiah 62, God says, you shall be called, my delight is in her. That's our name. My delight is in her and your land married, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's the gospel of God's faithfulness in light of our unfaithfulness. Brothers and sisters, despite our serial adultery against our beloved Christ, because we belong to him and because of of his unceasing love for us, he rejoices over us. Rejoices over us, his beloved and beautiful bride. We are his beautiful prize for whom he gave his life and he is making us a pure bride for his glory. That, dear saints, is why, by the Spirit's power, you give your blood, sweat, and tears to defend and cultivate your marriage out of love for God and out of love for your spouse for the glory of Christ. It's what he has done for us. It's why we're so zealous about marriage and why we're so against divorce. Are you not thankful that Christ has not divorced you? 
because of this glorious gospel, do you not desire to love your spouse selflessly for the glory of your bridegroom who loves you endlessly? The gospel, when it is rightly understood, greatly influences our perspective on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and it shapes how we honor and esteem and value and cherish and defend and cultivate our own marriages. Persevere for the sake of Christ. Well, there's much more to cover next week, so I really hope that you can be here because there's big stuff next week. This is not all that needs to be said, and I know there's tons of questions, but it has to come then and not now, or we will be here forever. So I'm leaving you hanging a little bit. I I understand that, but I trust more clarity will come as, as we continue next week. Please pray for me this week as I continue to just finalize the thoughts for next week and to try... Um, and to try to study verses 31 and 32. But I, I challenge you to study the verses and then take the cross-references of those and study those other verses in preparation for next week. You do your homework. Come, and let's see if we can't iron this stuff out and be clear on these things. I think that will help, help you. Last thing, I love Jerusalem Church. I love you. If you're divorced, love you. You're not somehow some weird, freakish category of Christian. We, we are all thoroughly adulterous in every angle. So we just love you. And I want to help you and want to understand the pain that, that perhaps you have or have worked through. So I love you. I love your marriages. I love your marriages. The elders love your marriages. We got to love one another's marriages to uphold those. And may God grant us much, much grace as we persevere for Christ's sake.